This is Go Powercat publisher Tim Fitzgerald, and we appreciate you listening to the Powercat podcast. You can now subscribe to our podcast with iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify, among many others. Or you can just come to gopowercat.com and use the megaphone.fm player. And remember, K-State fans, you can get 30% off an annual subscription to gopowercat.com. Complete, independent, professional coverage of Kansas State sports. With analysis and commentary, you will find nowhere else. Now here's the PowerCat Podcast. The following is a Spirit Street production. You've discovered your link to the PowerCat Podcast, presented by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. It's the PowerCat Podcast. And now, let's go to the Spirit Street Studios. Here's your host, Go Power Cat publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to another edition of the Power Cat Podcast. As we wind down July, football camp opens August 1st up at the Veneer Football Complex. Where did the summer go? It's been amazing uh, how much information we've been able to supply to you here at GoPowerCat.com as summer has progressed. Lots going on, lots of information, and big happenings here at GoPowerCat. One of the things we will be adding this year is a post-game PowerCat podcast. And we've done a post-game one that was, you know, a lot of post-production went up on Monday. And honestly, nobody listened to it. It was dated by then. People were already shifting their minds into the next game. With me not traveling with the team anymore um, because of health and also because the other guys do a great job and what do they need me for, now I'm kind of at home base. So I will be here throughout the season with one exception and be able to come into our brand new WTC Gig Pirate Studios and sit down and call the guy we're going to have on as our postgame analyst. He's in Frisco, Texas, but he watches every K-State game. It is his team, and his name is Brian Hanley. Feel free to call him Big B. It's his nickname and his name on the Go Cat message boards. Brian Hanley was part of that remarkable 1997 junior college recruiting class for Coach Bill Snyder that changed the Kansas State football program forever and many ways changed college football forever by proving that you could win at the highest levels recruiting junior college players. It was once taboo and thought of as kind of cutting quarters, and Coach Snyder proved that you can build a really good football team with junior college players, and he came to K-State, a native of Louisville, through Coffeyville Community College and played left guard from the time he stepped on campus till the time he was done. Brian Hanley started a podcast this year called Let's Talk Ball. You'll touch on that a little bit. It's available at ltbpodcast.com, and it is very good. He tackles a different topic quite often football, but he's a sports fan. He talked quite a bit on one podcast I listened to about hockey, and he delivers really good messages, really good thoughts, and makes it very entertaining for a guy who's sitting in front of a microphone all by himself talking for 30 minutes on a 
topic. It's not easy to do. He'll be joining us all season long with the post-game podcast as our football analyst. Another thing that's going to be happening at Go Powercat is our Power Chats, and we're getting very close to announcing the first season of the Power Chat. We're short one show right now. we got one more to record, and we're working to book our final guest for that first season 1.1. We will do 1.1 through 1.4 during this first sports year of the Power Chat, doing four shows at a time, broken up in two segments. So it'll essentially be uh, a Monday and Tuesday segment when we drop the first one in early August. It's really exciting, and if you're looking for a bunch of sports talk, that's probably not the place you're going to find it, because we want to have a show that's a little bit more timeless and not really be a breakdown of all the other information you can find in other media corners. Our goal with the Power Chat is to humanize all the K-State people, be them celebrities, coaches, athletes, administrators, fans, donors, whomever they may be, so that you get to know them pretty well. And the Power Chat has been awfully fun to record. And my congratulations to Zach Carlson for his job on the production end as we make use of our new WTC Gig Pirate Studios with the video set that's coming real soon, and we're excited. And also a shout-out to Ryan Wallace for a remarkable opening montage for the Power Chat. It's awfully fun. But let's get into this week's Power Cat podcast. And, of course, we're sponsored by Fridge Hill Liquor. When you're coming to town for the games, just stop at the fridge. Get everything you need right there. Don't worry about bringing it to the game. You don't have to pack up the car with all that. Stop in the fridge and, and get all your booze, be it beer or wine or whiskey whiskey or rum right off the booze tree. They actually have trees in the back area of the fridge, which they grow all of their alcohol fresh, and they pluck the bottles right off the tree. It's a remarkable process. I couldn't believe when I saw it. Uh, get into the fridge. They're great people. It's a great store, a wide selection, and very knowledgeable people. If you've got questions about products, you want something special, they can help you at the fridge. Get into the fridge. Stop in and say hi to Kevin and everyone. They are the proud sponsors of the PowerCat Podcast. And this segment is brought to you by Tanner's. If you're not able to go on the road and you're kind of in the area, come on into Tanner's. Uh, that's a great place to watch a game, and you'll be able to watch it with your fellow K-Staters. They have TVs everywhere. Uh, there's nowhere you sit where you don't have multiple TVs in your line of vision, and really they're high enough where nobody blocks your line of vision. So get into Tanner's when you're in town. And now let's dive into this week's PowerCat Podcast from the WTC Gig Power Studios, and I am Go Powercat publisher Tim Fitzgerald. Zach and Riley have the week off because we're bringing in a very special guest for this week's podcast. And now we bring in Big B himself here on the Go Powercat Powercat podcast, sponsored by Fridge Hill Silicon. Brian Hanley from his home in Texas. Uh, <laughs> Brian, thanks for doing this, and and thanks for being part of the Powercat post-game podcast. It's going to be a lot of fun. You and I are going to have breaking down games as soon as after as we can hook up uh, the night or day of that game. It'll be fun. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for having me be a part of this. It's something I've I've wanted to get into for a long time. I'm glad the, the opportunity presented itself, so I can't thank you enough. Well, you kind of presented yourself. Um, I saw a link to your podcast in uh, on Facebook, 
Uh, you know, the the group uh, Pulse of K-State football that was started up, I think, by Joe Hall, who's no longer around because he's part yep. of the program. Um, and right. uh, so I went, uh, you know, okay, let me go listen to this because uh, let's be blunt here. There's a lot of bad podcasts out there. Uh, and, right. and I, you know, and if people want to do it, that's great. It's fun. It's fun. And they want to get their opinions out there. And I listened to you and I listened for about five minutes. I went. This dude gets it. Yeah, he's he's good. What yeah. you I don't think you appreciate how hard it is what you do. Sit down in front of a microphone for thirty minutes or whatever, and go on a topic by yourself. It's that's tough, and you make it very entertaining. So I applaud you. Well, I appreciate you saying that. We, you know, it's something that I wanted to get into with my brother, and unfortunately, he passed away six years ago. So I just pretty much put the idea out of my head. And, you know, I was speaking to, you know, a former K-Stater who's one of my best friends, Darren Howard. Yeah. And I just approached him and just said, hey, you know what? What if we do a podcast? And before I could even get it out of my mouth, he was like, yes. So we kind of put it together. He does all the audio stuff because he is technical, no studio, no sound and all that stuff. Because I don't know any of that stuff. And I just kind of put it together and. It's come together. We're having a lot of fun with it. That's a lot funny. of fun. That's funny. Darren does it. That's amazing. It's uh, where's he at now? Is he down there? Yeah, he's in Tampa. Oh, okay. He's so, yeah, yep, he's back in Florida. Very cool. Well, let's get to your questions from Wabash Station, and we're going to kind of touch on uh, your career and the program when you're around, and then in the second half, get more into current K State football. Um, okay. Let's go with the one thing. Uh, prior to coach's first retirement that really changed the course or the trajectory of the program and and maybe college football? Well, it's, you know, me and the guys kind of get around and we talk and it's pretty much the same. I know everybody says this, but it is literally the recruiting. And it's not that I don't blame coach Snyder for this. I know people want to bash him for that. And I'm never going to be a coach Snyder basher. I'm just not that guy, but the first time when he retired, before that, we got pretty much any junior college player that we wanted. Right. And, you know, Kansas, you know, I hate to say it, it's not the hotbed of high school football. So you're not going to have 40 guys that can play Big 12 caliber football coming out of the state every year. That's just not a realistic thing. Having said that, we could supplement it with junior college players. A lot of them were in Kansas. Well, It just seemed like the SEC figured that out because they, I mean, I'm sure they just dissected what Coach Snyder was doing. It's like, how is he doing this at Kansas State? What is going on? And that was one of the reasons. And now those guys, you know, they're from Florida, Georgia, and Alabama, Louisiana, and they have just decided, you know what, we can get those guys to come back home, and they do, and that has changed things. It's amazing because Coach Snyder made it acceptable. You know, it was just unseen. Yeah. It just wasn't – you were cutting a corner to recruit JUCO guys, and now everyone does it. Right. Maybe short of Notre Dame, everyone delves into the recruiting process of junior college guys. Right. And the irony is uh, that he used what was his advantage. You're right. There's not many yep. high school players in the state of Kansas, but there's JUCO football, and there's really good JUCO yes. football. And the irony now is because of the SEC influence – 
K-State can hardly get those players out of Kansas Juco's because they've been placed there by Georgia, by Tennessee, by Correct. Florida. And they're, they're going back to those schools or they want to go back into the SEC. You know, and nobody can blame a college football player for wanting to do that now. Um, but he really did make junior college football recruiting acceptable part of the game. And, and I, you know, in some ways I'll give him credit that the he SEC is, is really powerful now because they've supplemented – their high school recruiting with those junior college kids. Uh, yeah, makes a huge difference. It does. It really does. If, if You know, if you've got a glaring hole that you need to plug, you can go find a junior college guy that at the very least will make the position more competitive and and yep. probably give you experience uh, and, a, and an older body. I mean, there's a big difference between yep. a 17 and a 19 or 20-year-old. It just is. KSU Cat yes. 80 wants to know what was the most memorable game you played at K-State uh, that you were involved in. That's an easy one. 1998 Nebraska. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't get any easier than that. I mean, that was that was a great day. I mean, I just remember from start to finish, you know, 21 years later, I can remember it. We were just, I mean, nobody slept the night before. I remember everybody was up. We were sat in our living room till four o'clock in the morning. We couldn't sleep. And it was just, it was just a great, great. It was a good football game. That's number one. It was a really, really good football game. And to be able to beat them, you know, and I'm a guy that, hey, I know that we hadn't beat them in 29 years. And coach kind of, tried to deflect that from us and kind of said, Hey, you know, you can't put the 29 years on you guys. You know, you weren't a part of that. He goes, this is our year. This is a different year. You know, this is a different football team, even from the year before. So we kind of fed off of that and we thought we were better than they were. And I think in past teams before that, they didn't either. They didn't think when a lot of times they weren't better than Nebraska, but we thought we were better than they were. And even when we got down early and even late, we just thought, you know, we're going to win because we're better than they are. And we did. It was just, it was great to have everybody run on the field, the celebration. And it was a, it was just a good time. Great game. Great game. And it wasn't a face mask, was it? It, it was clearly a, he tackled him by the shoulder. Despite, oh, no, no. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Despite the, the, the altered photographs we now see today. <laughs> Clearly, they yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, did you have a did no you, face mask? <laughs> Do you have an angle on that play, or were you back on the bench talking to uh, your coaches? Well, by that time, I mean, it was late in the game, so yeah. we were all standing on the sideline. And I have no idea how a referee that's standing 10 feet away did not see that. <laughs> um, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was clear as day, but you know what? Hey, I mean. That's that's what changed under Bill Snyder. Those so those one, breaks when K State's way. Yeah, exactly. Was, so if one goes our way, who cares? You got it. It was a lot of years where it went the other way. Um, what's the most memorable or inspirational lesson Coach Snyder taught you while you were at K State? Maybe you still use it to this day. Just to be accountable. Yeah. You know, just to be accountable. Don't do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it all the time, just being accountable. You know, it, it seems like a simple thing, but you think about everyday decisions that either people do make and don't make that they should make. And that was just his thing. It was just do what you're supposed to do 
at all times. And in college, that's tough. I mean, that is tough, <laughs> you know, to do the right thing because you just want to have fun. And But, you know, as you get older and you look back, it's, it, it's just a simple thing, you know, and it can lead you the right direction down life. And life is just do the right thing, do it all the time, and usually think good things usually work out for you. That was what he hammered home to us. Yeah, and that's what the great coaches do. It's a simple test of your of your players. Are you accountable? Uh, going to class and right. and doing all the little things because if you're not accountable there, you're not probably going to be accountable on the field. Uh, you're going to miss exactly. assignments. You're not going to take care of business. Who for KSU wants to know what are some of your favorite Bill Snyder memories? Well, um, What's the thing that people and some people may know is Coach Snyder was funny. Yeah, he you is. know he had a, the driest sense of humor, and he would say stuff in team meetings. Now nobody ever laughed in the meetings, but when it was over, we would just crack up at some of the things that he would say. I mean, you know, Coach Snyder, he's just a funny, funny guy. You know, especially when you get him away, you know. I mean, you know, outside of preparation time, things of that nature, he's just a funny guy. So that was the story that I take. Obviously, everything that he did for the university and all of that stuff kind of speaks for itself. But for me, it's that when outside of preparation, because you know how laser focused that he was, but when you got him away from that, it was he was just a funny human being. And that's my biggest memory. That's what I took because, you know, I like being around people that are funny, and he was a funny man. Yeah, you know what? He is a funny man. Yeah, when I deal with members of the media, you know, particularly back in the day, oh, what's it like to deal with Coach Snyder? Isn't he a jerk? And I'm like, no, he's actually really funny. He's he's No, he's not. That's right. Yeah, he's he's like, every, every time in a press conference, he'll say something that'll just have us rolling, and it's just so dry, and how he delivers it. it yeah, I... I, I People just don't get that about him because they never would watch the whole nope. context of a press conference or, or see him with his team. Now, who wants to know what are your, some of your favorite Michael Bishop memories? Um, I mean, you know, you hear the legendary stories that, you know, it's kind of like the guy that caught the big fish. You know, it started yeah. out as a foot long and it ended up, you know, 100 feet long that Oh man, were you there when Bishop threw the ball over Bramlage? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I was there. <laughs> you know, but I mean, I was there when the first day when he came out there and he threw the ball 75 yards in the air on a line, and I was like, oh, okay, this is what this guy can do. <laughs> like, this is going to be interesting. Um, but just some of his the competitiveness, you know. Those types of things, um, you know, even in practice, he's always wanted to win, always wanted to compete. Some of the things that he did, I mean, obviously, you know, um, I just remember the first game that we played Missouri uh, our junior year when he set the rushing right. I was like, you know what? This guy is special. That's when we all knew that he was going to be special because we knew that the passing was going to get there. And he had the arm. It was just a matter of just getting, you know, the system down and things of that nature. But when he ran for all those yards, I'm thinking, you know, we've got something here. We have got something. 
So uh, it's remarkable. You you look at your group. You know, we talked about the junior college recruiting, how it changed football, but the use of Michael Bishop uh, and how he was used. There were running quarterbacks in the in that day, but they were option guys. They weren't throwers. And Mike brought it both right. to the brought both to the field, and coach designed this incredible offense. Or you know that essentially used him as a tailback that could throw the ball, and uh, that forever changed college football and the NFL because we see it now with what some teams are doing in the league. It's it's really, really amazing yeah. the impact Coach had. KSU man wants to know uh, what was Bishop like in the huddle? Focused. Yeah. You know, he's, I mean, he was focused. You know, the one thing that nobody could ever say about Mike was he didn't want to win. He wanted to win every snap. Right. So, and he wanted to get a touchdown every single play. You know, even if he was handing the ball off, he wanted the touchdown. So he was very, very focused in the huddle. Um, laser focused in the huddle. Super competitive. Super competitive. Yeah, that, that you could just tell. If something would break down, that was the magic of Michael. He may not run the right play, but when it broke down, right. uh, he would make something happen. He wasn't going to be a failure on that play. He was going to win the play. Nope. Gar- Absolutely. Garcat twelve seven six one. That's a lot of numbers. Uh, what would be uh, as an observer now? What's the difference between Snyder one and then two after the retirement? What do you think the differences were? Well, you know, I'm not. Uh, the coaching staff basically changed. Yeah. So you know, and it got older. Yeah. And that was. I mean, and I hate to say it, to me it was a problem. I agree. Because obviously the coach of the recruiting, you know, you guys, you can't relate to younger guys. But that was basically, that's what I saw was the coaching staff got older and not just a little older. I mean, we went, when I was there, the guy, I mean, Venables was a coach. I mean, he was five and six years older than we were. Yep. You know, so uh, that's from guys being in their late 50s. And I'm like, I don't know if that's going to work. I mean, they were successful. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the program was a failure or anything. It just, but that's what was, that changed. That was the difference is that the coaching staff just got so much older. And obviously we just didn't get the guys in that we, you know, we need to get the guys in. And that was the, that's the big difference for me is just is the coaching staff turnover. You know, it's, was, it was just not. It was totally different. It's like anything else in life. When when you're young, uh, you're ready to go attack recruiting and do it. But when you're in year 25 of your career, you know you've got to recruit. But the fire probably isn't in your belly like it was. Um, you can't relate exactly. to the kids as much, and you get tired of the travel, and you just want to coach. And um, and I think that's part of what happened. Yep. They just didn't recruit nearly. Uh, with the same vigor as they did early on, because that those early staffs of Bill Snyder were remarkable. They're scattered all over college football. Oh man, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's that was the big change. I mean, and it was. I mean, I just remember being on, you know, being there, and then even telling stories about, you know, because I wasn't there when Bob Stoops was there, and or when Levitt was there. But they just the, the guys, you know, both of them. So. I can just imagine, but I know uh, it, it was obviously a good time. I mean, those first staffs and, you know, at the beginning when Coach was there, just phenomenal coaching and recruiting. I mean, they had to put a plan together to bring the program out of the doldrums. So uh, we give Coach Snyder a ton of the credit 
But the assistants have to get credit for that yeah. as well because, man, they yeah. made it happen. It really was remarkable how they uh... – I mean, it's cliche, and someone asked about it later in the podcast. We'll get to it, but the get a little bit better every day. And that wasn't just for you guys as players. That was for him and the program. Let's just keep moving this thing forward Absolutely. incrementally. It's almost like climbing a mountain. You got to start. You got to start stepping and right. walking, and and it's one step at a time. And sometimes it's harder than others, but eventually, if you keep going, you get there. That was right. That Absolutely. Was, that was me being philosophical right there. Um, <laughs> K, K Ned, who always asks great questions, uh, gets back to the Nebraska game. What was that lead up like that preparation week for that Nebraska game? What was that like on the uh, practice field? Well, I mean, obviously, I mean, we used to have fun in practice. Now it's hard, you know, a Bill Snyder practice. I mean, if anybody's ever been to one or seen it, you know, there's not a lot of laughing and joking going on, you know, anyway. So, but, you know, we would have fun, you know, in stretching and things of that. But during that week, we weren't tight, but everybody was just super focused. I mean, there was no laughing. There was no kidding around. I mean, even in the weight room, guys weren't just, you know, in the weight room, in between sets, guys are talking, telling jokes. There really wasn't any of that. It was just, you know what, enough is enough. And I think everybody kind of felt that as enough is enough. As much as coach tried to push off, you know, the, you know, it'd been 29 years and all that. He tried to push that off. You know, as players, you want to win for your fan base. You know, you want to win for you, but you want to win for your fan base. So you feel that 29 years. So that was just one of the things that we just, enough is enough. It's time to go beat these guys, and especially because we're better than them. Right. You know, if, if we weren't better than they were and they were just better than us, then that would have been one thing. But I think we had the mindset that we were not going to lose this game this week because we are better than they are, and that was just the bottom line. So it was super, super focused. Yeah, you know, I wonder how much of that did you pick up I mean, it was obvious. Everyone talked about it. The media talked about it. But on campus and just kind of being around town from fans, enough is enough. Did you pick that up from them or did you just sense it? Hey, well, you picked it up from them. You picked it up in – it was everywhere. It was, I mean, Manhattan's not a metropolis. But anywhere that you went, I mean, it was – you could sense that, hey, guys, it's time to beat these guys. You know, and I think more of as we were around town, because we would talk about it. I mean, we would say it to people all the time. No, we're beating Nebraska this year. We're better than they are. And I'm sure fans and things had heard that before, but I think they had the sense of, you know, this team is different. You know, this, these guys are different. You know, they carry themselves different. They play different. They're different. So it was almost an excitement to get to the game where, in the past, it might have been, yeah, we're excited, but I don't know that we can win. And I think the pressure built up, but and we didn't really feel it because we wanted to win. But I think pressure kind of sometimes take, takes away when you don't know if you're as good as the other team, where and pressure can build up and make you tight. Where for us, it was no, no we know we're better, and we're not going to be tight. We're just going to play and we're going to go out there and win. And we felt it around town, but we felt it. It started in the locker room. Uh, it really started with coach. I mean, yeah. he was never going to say, hey, you got to win or anything like that. But, you know, it started with him and his confidence. Yeah, you know, he's always the consummate one game at a time. 
But yep. from the very start of that season, was there kind of a Nebraska vibe about that about that season? We're going to go get him this year, and did he do anything extra to prepare you for Nebraska? Yeah, you know, he, I mean, obviously during preparation during the summer, or not necessarily the summer, but during two days, right? You know, you're going to work on things that you're going to see down the road because it's not a, a one day preparation. And he would never tell us. But I remember, you know, when you go out and you're doing team and, you know, going against the scout team defense, there would be defenses and we, oh, okay, this is a Nebraska look. This is a Nebraska look. So they would do that. So we were prepping for it during two days. Now, during the season, not so much. But during two days, and even during spring ball, especially, I mean, there was preparation and we were getting ready because it was, you know, it, it, Nebraska was, again, supposed to be really good. Now, I know they had lost a couple games before they played us that year, but we wanted to win. We felt like that was the only thing that was going to stand between us and the goals that we had. Yeah, you, and you were right. I mean, yeah, if you didn't shake that off your back, off the program's back, nobody was going to take you seriously as a title contender. And I don't, I don't think, you know, despite the rankings, I don't think people really thought you would be there, you know, in the position you ended up being uh, until you did that. And you guys did it. I, you know, I'd still remember as much as I, you know, you talk about big plays that when Jeff Kelly picked up that fumble, you, you knew, yep. you knew it was finally over. It was finally that, that right. day. That did it. So you guys pro- progressed through that season, and it was a remarkable season. It was like, oh, man, it was great. We just couldn't couldn't imagine. And then once he did that, I was like, man, we're really going to beat these guys. It was great. Yeah, yeah, it was it was finally over. Uh, it was just, it was uh, such a celebration, and I don't think he scored a touchdown either. Thank God we don't have replay now. No. Back then. Uh, <laughs> so, but I got to ask it. You get to, you get to the Big 12 championship game, St. Louis, Texas A&M. You guys own that game until that, that fumble by Mike. Uh, I've never felt a game change that quickly in my life. From While it wasn't domination uh, on the scoreboard, it was domination. Um, and then it yeah. just everything changed. It was one of the weirdest, most deflating experiences uh, I've ever seen a team go through. What was it like to be on the field during that? I just, I mean, it's kind of what you said. I mean, we controlled the football game. I mean, they weren't doing anything. We were getting what we want, we what we wanted, but, and then you look up and we didn't have as many points as what I thought we should have had. And that's, you know, anytime you're watching a football game and you kind of think, you know, as you're playing it, you know, you don't think that way. But as a fan, when you watch a football game, you think, oh man, we're dominating the game, but we don't have enough points. We should be up by more. This is trouble. Playing in the game, now looking back on it, that's what I think. Playing in it, you didn't really feel that. And then you did, everything just changed. I'm like, what is going on? And we couldn't get it turned around. Just couldn't get it turned around. And then we had the, the game, and unfortunately we had the fumble because that would have ended it. Yeah. That literally would have ended it if he could have just – Held on, and I mean, as competitive as Mike was, I mean, he was devastated. But it was just a, it was a tough, tough afternoon. Oh man! Yeah. And then it carried over into the bowl game. I mean, it was, we just were, we were, we were done. I mean, we were done. 
Yeah, that's that's what the final question of the first half is from Ricky Tiki Tavi. You know, uh, there's a lot of things in sports, in college sports, that are the K-State rule that ha- that happened to K-State that then the next season they change it. You know, one was back in the day uh, a tip-in on a basketball shot wasn't a shot. So we right. r- there was the Daryl Winston tip-in that was waved off because it wasn't a shot. Yep. Uh, it was just a foul. Uh, and... And what happened to K-State with the Alamo Bowl? Not, the Alamo Bowl then wasn't what the Alamo Bowl is now. The Alamo Bowl now is, is a fairly big-time bowl. It's, you know, it's considered one of the top bowls in the Big 12 selection. Back then, it was the equivalent of whatever the Copper Bowl is now, the Correct. Cheez-It Bowl, the whatever. They change their name every year. That's what it was. K-State nope. slipped from being in the national championship game to still being third in the rankings in the in the college playoff rank or championship rankings where they were back then uh, to all the way out of those games into the Alamo Bowl was did the team even yep. want to go to a bowl at that point well i mean we had a meeting and all that good stuff and i mean i won't get into you know what was said but guys we we didn't want to go I mean, it, it, we didn't take it serious. Um, it just, it, we didn't want to go. And I remember before the Big 12 championship game, we were on the bus. And one of the assistants, you know, we were talking and said, you know, if we lose this game, we're going to the Alamo Bowl. And we all started laughing. And he was being dead serious and had said, no, the other games have already been slotted. I go, so to say and to the Alamo Bowl, or they're going to wherever I think it was the Sugar Bowl or something. Right. And I go, so it's already been slotted. So, and we didn't take it serious because I'm thinking, there's no way that we're going to go to the Alamo Bowl. I mean, come on now. And yet, that's what happened. And it was just so deflating. I was like, how? First of all, I don't even see how we finished third. We lost in double overtime to the number nine team in the country in the last game of the year in Florida State got whipped by a five and six team and yet they finished ahead of us. But that's another conference. That's yep. something another time. That's so K State right. right there. It's so K State. Yeah. It's just brutal. It was it was traumatic. It was traumatic for the fan base, for the players, for Coach Snyder. Um yeah. that you guys were the best team in the country that year, weren't you? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, Without no, question. No question in my mind that you were the best team in the country. And uh, someone asked, you know, what was better, the 03 team and the or the 98 team by the end of the year. And 03 by the end of the year after they get got healed up from their injuries and beat Oklahoma, that was a really good football team. That was worthy of playing in a big-time uh, bowl game. Oh, by the way, Oklahoma lost that Big 12 championship and still played for the national championship. Um, sure, they did. And... Uh, but for me, it's it's always the 98 team. You look at the talent you guys had. You look at the players that moved on to bigger things. Uh, and even the ones that didn't. Because Michael Bishop was the consummate college quarterback who probably as a quarterback right. was never going to be an NFL guy. He bounced around a little bit. But, in, you know, in reality, I think he was probably needed to be a running back or receiver or something at the next level if he wanted to do that. The NFL game just wasn't right. going to accept his style uh, in the league at that point. Right. Okay, Correct. that's it for the first yeah. half of the PowerCap podcast sponsored by Fridge Hill Wholesale Liquor. We'll be back on the other side of this break with more with Brian Hanley down in Frisco, Texas as we power forward with this edition.
The gang will return with more of the Power Camp Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back to Fitz of the Power Camp Podcast, sponsored by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. Welcome back to the PowerCat Podcast. Tim Fitzgerald and Brian Hanley, our new football analyst here with GoPowerCat.com, as he comes in on post-game podcast with us all season long. I think we will be a pairing throughout the year, except for one game in which uh, I'm going to sacrifice and go to Las Vegas to cover basketball. I, I'm a giver, Brian. I'm, <laughs> I'm a giver. I understand. Uh, but <laughs> fortunately, that game is the Texas game in kind of your backyard a couple hours away. So you're actually going to go down to that game for us and, and do that post-game yeah. podcast with uh, Riley Gates. So that'll be a good experience in uh, Texas. Is, oh, looking forward to it. I, looking forward to it. Texas, every time I go to a game at Texas, I'm like, the stadium's incredible. There's fans are everywhere. It should be awesome. And you're like, this is the most unintimidating college football environment I've ever seen. I mean, it's it's clearly yep. in the lower half of the conference in my book. Um, you know, I yep. Iowa State's tough. Oklahoma State's tough. Texas Tech's tough because you learn things about your mother when you go there. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I remember just someone just – Really, really, I can't say the words to John Weefold as as President Weefold walked <laughs> off the field uh, in Lubbock. I'm like, wow, that was that was interesting. And uh, <laughs> but uh, there's some really I can only imagine tough Big Twelve venues, but but Texas is never one of them. Although this year, I hate to say it, I think the Longhorns are going to be pretty darn good. Uh, I think they finally yeah. found the right coach. Well, let's move back into. Yeah, yep. Uh, the question from Wild Bass Station in the second half is sponsored by our friends down at the High Low in Aggieville. And when you get into Manhattan for football season, make sure you stop in the High Low. That first game's a 6 o'clock kick. Um, I'm not a big fan of 6 o'clock kicks. I think they're actually hotter than just getting it over earlier in the day. Uh, but uh, yep. K-State fans will be in town. Uh, and if you don't want to do your tailgating, if it's a really hot day, you don't want to do it on the pavement, go to Aggieville, hang out, and go to the high-low. I think you really like everyone <laughs> down there. Uh, start her off now with GT Cat. Uh, 
And we're going to move into more modern era here, questions about this team and the program. But as you look at the program right now and what Chris Kleiman's inheriting from Bill Snyder, what's the biggest thing he needs to get back that Bill Snyder had in the program before it kind of leveled out into kind of middle of the road? Got to get depth. Yeah. Got to get Nailed depth. It. Nailed it. Nailed you know, it. I mean, any injury that we have, basically at any position, and it's a nightmare. Right. So we just got to gotta get the depth back that we used to always have. I mean, no team clearly can, can lose three or four guys at one position. But we would always have somebody. I mean, we had depth. I mean, that was one thing that we always – I mean, we always had depth, especially on the defensive line. I think that more than any other position is where we have got to get the depth back is the defensive line more than anything. It's astonishing. And, and you you know, particularly Snyder 2.0 uh, and maybe even 1.0 with uh, the 2003 game, one key injury. And it all came apart. And that, you know, that happened to be quarterback. Right. But, you know, there was other injuries on the team that year. But I think of the, you know, 2012 team uh, goes to Baylor and, you know, they have an injury. Uh, Ty Zimmerman goes out. Ty Zimmerman was the free safety. He got everyone lined up. He got everyone on the defense in the right spot. Uh, and then he goes out and, and it looked like nobody was lined up in the right spot at Baylor. I, I mean, and, and the guy who replaced yep. him was pretty good, pretty good himself, Dante Barnett, but uh, he was also a freshman. It wasn't quite there. And, you know, when Chris Kleiman came at Brian, that's, that's what he said. He was astonished at the lack of depth that, uh, they have really, yeah. they have a really good group of core players that are Big Twelve guys that they got to go get more Big Twelve guys. They got to go. They got to have more bodies, and when they have an injury, uh, someone that can step in. And that doesn't happen with one recruiting class or even two. It's going to take nope. three or four years to build that kind of depth. Exactly. I mean, it's a. I don't want to say it's a rebuilding job, but it's a retooling of getting the, the, the guys in the program that we're going to need to compete right. on a, a week-in, week-out basis. It's not that we can't compete and beat teams, things of that nature. So I'm not saying that. But, you know, to get us where we want to go and where we want to be as a program, we just got to get to death. Yeah, if there was a big game late in the year, you know, Coach Snyder, his last few years, he would finish strong, which was amazing because by then they were into their – uh, you know, their depth. Uh, and they weren't right. as good as they were early in the year physically, but now the guys were beginning to check in. It, it was a testament to his coaching often that he'd win games late in the year because the team was really a shell of what it, you know. I, I look back a few years ago, they lost D.J. Reed before they go to Oklahoma State, and they won. You know, it's like, well, right. that's just Coach Snyder. KSU number one wants yep. to know this. As a former player and as a junior college transfer, where do you stand on players being able to play right away after transferring? And I don't think he means like JUCO. I mean, like program to program, uh, you know, kids kids transfer from Tennessee so they'd be able to go play at Texas right away. Well, you know, I'm a person that I'm pro player. Yeah. So, obviously, I was a player. So I believe that a guy, because if coaches can do it, then why can't a guy, a player do it? Now, you get to do that once, but, you know, you're trying to go two and three years and or two, three years in a row because you couldn't figure it out or you didn't get the playing time. I think if you transfer one time, you should be able to go and play right away. Now, that's just me. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but that's my feeling on it because if – 
as an 18-year-old, and it happened to me. I mean, when I came out of college, I went and played basketball at Xavier. And Pete Gillen recruited me, and before I got there, he was gone. And back in those days, you couldn't transfer and go play right away if that happened. I mean, that was, hey, too bad, so sad you committed to the school. So my whole thing is, and guys are committing to coaches. I mean, they just do. They do. I mean, so you say, yeah, I mean, it's a coach. You're going to fit into a system, you know, and and if coaches are allowed to leave, and I know it's a profession for them, but if I'm going to spend the next four to five years there, it's got to mean something to me too. I mean, I've got to – my investment is in that, and if you leave, then my investment's not going to be the same. So I just believe now it can get tricky because maybe you have a team that half the team leaves because the coach leaves. I don't think that would ever happen, but, I mean, it is what it is at this point. I just believe that if a guy transfers, wants to transfer, and they do it once, I believe they should be able to do that. Yeah, I agree with that. And I'm just astonished now they're they're like, well, we got to look at this senior grad transfer rule. I don't know if it's good for the programs. Who cares, man? The, you you, you exactly. said it. The coaches are professionals. It's part of their job. If the kid has graduated from an institution, his obligation to that school should be done. And if he has remaining eligibility, I don't even think he should have to play this game of you have to go graduate transfer to a program and get into a grad program that doesn't isn't offered at your current institution. Come on, cut the crap. He's got his high school or his college (laughs) degree. If if a guy like Alex Delton wants to go transfer and play somewhere else. He's got his degree, man. Go let him play. He's a grown man, and he's got a year of eligibility left. Let him do yep. it. Uh, it just bothers the hell out of me. Well, it's really not good for college football. So it's really not about the student-athlete, is it? It's really about the game. Uh, it, it, it exactly. Um, Purple Powerhouse, what's your opinion on this coaching staff so far as you view them from the outside? Uh, they're really aggressive in recruiting. Yeah, they get I know we're beating a dead horse with it, but I know they're really aggressive with recruiting and they're doing a good job. So um, I kind of have a little bit of an insight with the coaching staff. Um, a player that I coached, a couple of guys, uh, Lamar Chapman and Ian Moses that played at K-State, we coached um, uh, when I lived in Kansas City a while back. We used to coach um, – basically a middle school team. And one of the the players, Jabril Cox is a star linebacker for North Dakota state. Well, we coached him when he was, you know, 12 and 13 years old. We keep in contact with some more Ian and Lamar do, and he loves them. So he loves them, said he's a great coach, uh, was excited and for him to get the opportunity. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm really excited. I know we're we're just attacking things a little bit differently. Change is not a bad thing at all the time. I mean, we can't be afraid of change. I know people were upset with the way that it happened. Right. But I'm not sure that it didn't need to happen three or four years prior to this. So, and it was never going to end well. I mean, it was never going to end well because I don't believe Coach wanted to, to stop coaching. So, I, I think we're – I think I think guys just need to give them a chance and be excited for the program. I know the program, the fan base is a little disenfranchised right now, but we got to just stay the court. Do we want the program to be successful? Clearly, we all do. Give the guy a chance. You see what he's doing in recruiting. 
I mean, they're, they're attacking it. They're doing well. So I, I think we'll be okay. I'm excited. You know, a lot of staffs come in and, and have a flurry recruiting and do a good job. I think David Beatty did it at Kansas and all those kids from Louisiana yep. and everyone's like, oh, it's going to be awesome. And then one or something signed. Uh, so really for exactly. me, can, can you complete the sale? Yeah, uh, you know, you don't you don't want these kids as football season starts to get buyer's remorse and say, you know what, I think I'm going to look around. Uh, but when you're hovering around 20 commitments going into football season, that is so radically different than Bill Snyder's approach, which really worked early on. It early, you know, just as junior right. college recruiting, uh, you know, in your case, you could wait till December to recruit junior college guys because nobody was really seriously looking at them except for programs that they'd probably settle on or they might get a break and go to someplace. But Michael, you know, think about Michael Bishop sitting out there in December uncommitted because everyone thinks he's a safety and not a quarterback. Bill Snyder could do that. Well, eventually that changed. Juco, the clock got moved up, and Coach still tried to recruit late, and it didn't work. And then it happened with high schools. Now kids want to come in their junior year. Um, it, it, the whole right. process is sped up. I understand what Coach Snyder is saying. I don't want to recruit someone off of what they are as a 16-year-old boy. I would prefer to recruit them as an 18-year-old man, as a senior, and see how they play, but that's just not how it works. You, you have, and nope. it became a master of projecting. I see this kid. I know what he's going to be in two, three years in our program. Uh, he may not look the part now, but he will. And I think this staff, Chris Kleiman and you know Connor Riley, who recruited Kansas City for North Dakota State and has continued to do it for K-State, I think they're, they're really gifted at that, just like Snyder was. I can see what you're going to be, not what you are. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Powercat Ryan wants to know what excites you the most about the 2019 season. I think the unknown for yeah. me, yeah, I agree. you know, and the, yeah, the, the unknown, I mean, we had gotten, we had gotten so predictable and play calling and predictable and everything. I just think the unknown and I'm not, again, it's not to, to bash coach Snyder. I just think that, you know, doing things a different way every now and then is a good thing. And other teams, you know, it's one thing to see what North Dakota State did and all that kind of stuff and scout, but, you know, I just think the unknown for us as fans is going to be a good thing. Seeing some different plays, seeing some some different aspects or different approach to the game, I think that's going to be good for us. That's what I'm really excited about. And I know we're going to play a lot of young guys. We're going to have to. So yeah. that's going to be the key to to building the program in the future. It may not equate to 10 wins this year, but two or three years down the road, it might. You know, whether it's life or football or anything else, there's not a big difference between being in a groove or being in a rut. They're the same thing. You just got to exactly. recognize the difference. Uh, and K-State kind of went from being in the groove and really things were going great to, to just being predictable and in a rut that, you know, things got to be shaken up, and, and I don't think Coach was prepared to do it, unfortunately. K-Net, right. bring him back in here. While only Bill Snyder could win at K-State, given the situation back in 1989 when he arrived, do you buy this narrative we hear from, you know, outside that only Bill Snyder can win at K-State, even with today's situation, players, facilities, tradition, uh, et cetera? Absolutely not. I don't believe that. I believe Coach Snyder was the only man for the job then. Yep. But I don't believe that he's the only job for the guy now. Now, the thing that 
that people are freaking out about is because they hired somebody before. I go, but you have to take a look at that situation. I mean, that was a bad hire. I mean, he had no business taking that job. He didn't know what he was doing, clearly. And at least that's my opinion. Right. But it doesn't have to be that way for everybody. I mean, I think that this is a proven head coach where before we didn't get a proven head coach. We have a proven head coach, knows what he's doing, has a plan, is going to stick to the plan. And as long as we as fans do that, I think it'll be okay. But the notion that we – because I hear it a lot is, well, remember what it was like back then. I go, but we're not that program that we were in 1989. We're not that. So you can't look at it as we're going to go back there. We're not that program. I go, I mean, I know we're not at the peak of where we were. I go, but we're not that program that couldn't win a football game. I go, so when Coach Snyder leaves, he left it better clearly than what it started. So we're going to be okay. We just got to give it time and get back to where we need to be. But we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. When he retired in 2005 and they hired Ron Prince in 06, their first stop was Jim Levitt. And and they offered the job to Jim, uh, who, you know, had South Florida going. He was in a pretty good situation. He had some family things that kept him there. And I stop and wonder sometimes, where would Jim Levitt and Kansas State football be if he had made the move? Because I think he's a great coach. I think he would have been successful. Um, and ever since his incident at, at South Florida, he's just kind of been a vagabond, you know, out there in college football or, or the NFL coaching. And I – I almost wonder if he wouldn't still be here coaching as the head coach if he had come in 06. It's just it's one of those historical things that intrigues me. Yeah, I think we I think he'd be there. I think we'd be well. I think we'd be getting 10, 12 guys a year from Florida just like he was doing before. I yep. think we would be just fine because he had a relationship with those Florida high school coaches and they would have sent kids out to Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, I think the program would be totally different. Um, not to say, again, I know I'm beating a dead horse again, not to say that Coach Snyder had done a bad job, but the recruiting had fallen off, let's just be honest. And I don't think that would have happened with Levitt. I just don't believe that. I don't believe it happens now where he's at. You know, no, I, I just believe he's a really good football coach. Yeah, he uh, – he goes against what I said earlier in the podcast. As you get older, you kind of lose the fire for recruiting. He still right. has. Uh, <laughs> he might be. Yeah, he does. He might be out at Oregon right now, and, and I'm not real sure where he's at right now. But uh, when he gets in again, he's going to just recruit like the Dickens. He's really amazing, and uh, I love – he's a yep. good, good Twitter follow, too. Um, so we've gone from uh, Coach Snyder to get better, a little bit better each day, and now you have a stack one good day on top of another. This is also from KNED. Many are pointing to the differences in media access, et cetera, between these two coaches, but don't you see a lot of similarities here between Snyder and Kleiman's approaches? I do. Yeah, I do too. Now, it's one thing because, I mean, he's not – I'm not saying he's old, old guy, but he's not a you know a guy in his 40s. I mean, he's not some super young guy. Right. So they're going to have some of the same you know principles in life, you know, and it's successful. You know, just because you recruit a different way or you may coach a different style, having the same you know principles is something that you can have at any age. And I think that's a good thing. Not a good thing. I think that's a great thing. 
So I do see the, some of the similarities in that aspect of it, you know, and it's just the same way with everyday life. I mean, as a college football player, it's kind of what you mentioned earlier, go to class. That's your first stop. Be on time for class, be on time for weights, be on time for meetings, be on time for practice, do all of those things, get better at each of those every single day and continue to do that the next day. I mean, those kind of similarities, you can never go wrong when you're doing those things and doing things the right way. Yeah. I'm, how he gets about things is different. And offensively, we're going to see him get to things differently. There's going to be more motion, different looks. Right. Uh, Skylar Thompson told me it's actually, you know, it's more complex because of all the pre-snap things going on. But at the end of the day, they want to be physical and run the football. Sound familiar? Yep. I mean, it's just a Absolutely. traditional brand of football. And you mentioned Coach Kleiman's age. Well, you know, he's unfortunately younger than me. Uh, he is in, I think, the top four in this conference. He comes in, and it'd be right. top three if not for Les Miles, also being uh, being one of the oldest coaches in the league. But you got Coach Patterson and Coach Gundy, who's very comparable to Coach Kleiman. And then this conference is really young in coaching. It's it's really amazing, and I think that's why it the, is. the brand of Big 12 football is always so good because these guys are bringing such fresh ideas to the table. And, and I, with that, I think – K-State was stagnant doing the things that they were trying to do, but I also think it does continue to leave that window open for traditional football can work against defenses made to stop the spread, period. Maybe. Of course it does. Yeah. Absolutely. You smash them in the mouth, they're not, they're not used to that. They're just not. Those, those offensive nope. linemen don't do that in the spread. They hold a block for three seconds and the ball's gone. It's finesse. Exactly. It drives me wacky. And I can't stand it. Just throw that out there. Yeah, yeah good. We're we're on the same page. I just can't stand it. Okay, let's wind up the uh, second half of the Powercat podcast from a question from one of my favorite names uh, on the site. And this, let me get zone in here. Big, big, big time Timmy Jim is the name of the poster. I, <laughs> I, I didn't know you had that many available characters in the name, but he sure did. Uh do you think the tone of the program from, uh, you know, players were talking about not being fun anymore. I don't know the plan for Snyder was ever fun, but it just, it, they were, there was a lot of misery around the program. And fa- I don't think fans were quite plugged into it and to understand it to now this kind of joy they have for being out there and the energy that the new coaches have brought. Do you think that's worth a win or two? Just that alone? 100%. Interesting. 100%. You know, changing things and doing things a little bit differently and just having a fresh approach and making it a little bit more fun. People sometimes equate having fun with not working hard, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Is you can have fun while working hard. You can have laser focus and still have fun. It's, I don't know. That's, I think that's more of a, a societal thing. Is that people think that if you're having fun that you're not working hard. Well, that doesn't have to be the case. I mean, you can have plenty of fun. And as kids and times have changed, guys want to have more fun. They want to do a couple of different things different. But that doesn't mean they're not going to work. The coaches are going to be, look, we're going to do this. and We're going to have fun. But when you step out of line, you're going to pay the price for that. Right. So what would you rather do? And guys want to have fun. So if they're going to, you know, if they're going to have to pay or face consequences for not, you know, for not having the focus and, you know, it's not that coaches are being lax. They're basically letting you be a man. And if the consequence or if, 
you do the wrong things, you're going to pay the consequence, and the fun gets taken away. Well, guys don't want to have the fun taken away. So I believe that it's a good thing. And I believe that it's a great thing. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, not to make this self-indulgent, but that's kind of how I run this company. Uh, the guys work extremely hard, uh, but you know what? The young guys, if if you want to take a break and play Fortnite for an hour on your, you know, your television in your office, have at it, man. Because I know you're going to work 12 hours today, so just go go take right. a break. And, and uh, I always like to brag that we are a nap conducive environment in our in our shop here. If, you, if you're a dragon man, just go take a nap. I got a couch in my office. Go lay down. Right. Uh, you know, right. get it done. So let's uh, let's wind up now with this uh, second half of the Power Cap podcast. Uh, Brian, this, this has been great. We're going to take you into the overtime after the break, and I don't know. Sure. The overtime is uh, sometimes serious, but mostly the people ask stupid questions. Uh, and, okay. Uh, we didn't have as many. I think people were being very respectful of you, and they didn't have as many uh, oh. questions like that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add a few in there myself. But uh, we, work. we will be back on the other side of this small break of the Powercat Podcast, sponsored by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. The gang will return with more of the Power Camp Podcast. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Back to Fitz of the Power Cat Podcast, sponsored by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. Welcome back to the Power Cat Podcast, sponsored by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. Tim Fitzgerald, Go Power Cat Publisher, along with Brian Hanley, our new football analyst for post-game podcast during the 2019 season. Brian's former Kansas State player, part of that amazing junior college recruiting class in 1997 and 98 that changed the face of Kansas State football and college football forever and he's down in frisco texas what's it like living in frisco i love frisco oh i love it and i mean i lived in kansas city when i left k-state i moved to kansas city and we lived there until me and my wife lived there until 2011 and we moved here and if i say it to everybody i love kansas city dallas is just better and Frisco is even better than that. Is so if I'd have known what I knew five years previous, I'd have moved five years sooner. It's great. And it gets hot. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It doesn't get I cold. Go, but you know what? In July, yeah, it doesn't get cold. I mean, that was the one thing. And I remember on the, our first uh, New Year's, it was 68 degrees, and I was out back grilling. I'm like, you know what? I can get used to this. I can get used to this. <laughs> I, I can't remember. I looked up the stat. We, you know, we had a couple years where we had the uh, Big 12 Media Days there in Frisco at the training facility at the Ford Center or whatever it is. Um, and I looked up the population of Frisco, Texas in 1989 when Bill Snyder was hired. And I can't remember what it was, but it was like a 1,000. I mean, there was no one there. It was, yeah. it was a dusty little, you know, north central Texas town that eventually got 
connected to Dallas and blew up into just a beautiful place. Wonderful because everything's new in Frisco, but it was everything well, is new. Everything it was it's well planned out though. It's it's well thought. Oh yeah. And I sense that soon there might be an airport up closer to you. That's the big thing about Dallas, is I think they need a, a secondary airport somewhere that is less. Well, and that's the thing, yeah, because everything's south and then it's west, you know, big DFW, but they're going to have to do something because there's just too many people moving up north in that direction for there not to be another airport. Because Love Field, is, I mean, it's a long, long way for people to go. And DFW is just so crowded all the time. They, they need something. Yeah. yeah, it's. I like Love Field because you just when you get there, you're in the middle of Dallas and you're ready to go. But you're pretty much flying southwest, right. so um, that's always nice too. Well, let's get into your questions from Wabash right. Station here in the overtime. Sports sponsored by Fridge Holesilker. When you come into town for football, you know where you got to go. Just go in there, say, uh, "Give me booze." And they will give you booze. Well, you got to pay for it, but they will they will provide you with refreshments of uh you know. And if you seriously, if you've got questions about you know craft beers, wines, uh, vodkas, anything, uh, it's not just a bunch of people there to cat you know go to the cash register. They've got experts that will help you out. Let's get into the overtime now. And uh, the first question is, Ema O nine want to know have you been to watch Last Chance You yet? Uh, and you just told me before that you were getting ready to start season four, but you have watched season Correct. three with Jason Brown. The dude is a trip. Yes. Oh my God, he's absolutely crazy. I mean, it's one. I mean, and when I say that, you know, people kind of say that as cliche. I believe that he's got. Some, I don't know what his issue is. I read that he got arrested uh, for some fraud or something yeah. like that. He posed, as like, a, he posed as a lawyer. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, what are you doing? Oh my goodness, just I don't know. I mean, winning football games in Independence, Kansas, I guess is that serious that you had to bring this guy in because they should have fired him after the first year of what he was doing and what he was saying. But they won, and that literally is the definition of the price of winning. Right. That was literally the definition of the price of winning. You know what? This guy is horrible for the town, horrible for everything involved. But because we won football games, we will keep him on. And now look what happens. So yeah. there's always a consequence. Yeah. Is it Was it interesting, you know, you watch season three to see Independence playing Coffeyville. Your old, all the games are your old stomping grounds. It had to be kind of surreal. Yeah. It was, actually. Um, and they played at Coffeyville. And the thing is, is that they taped it. It was literally the week after I had went down there for a Hall of Fame ceremony. And it was the week after they played Independence. And I was watching. I was like, wow, that's crazy. I was literally there the week before. And, you know, I don't get a chance to go back to Coffeyville much, uh, if ever, because uh, it's not that big of a place or to have no really reason to go past there, but it definitely was surreal. And I always hold Coffeyville a special place in my heart because, you know, the coach that I had there, coach Skip Foster, I mean, he transformed me into a man. So I will always have the utmost respect for everything about that town. Cause it was my first time really being away from home. Um, I wasn't, uh, when I went to Xavier to play basketball, that was only like, I don't know, 80 miles from where I lived. Didn't work out clearly. And I went to Coffeyville and it was like, look, this is my second chance. Everybody doesn't get second chances. This is mine. I got to make it. And I'm out here by myself. 
You know, I had no family to drive home to. I had no friends that were there. And the whole town and the school, you know, helped me grow up. So it was great. And I love it. Love everything about it. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm really intrigued by that because you see these kids, and particularly now that um, the Jayhawk Conference has lifted their limitation on a number of out-of-state players. It's a free-for-all. Right. Um, but there's a lot of kids being transplanted from far away and really bad situations into small-town Kansas. That has to be just a yeah. culture shock and a half for anyone that goes through that. It, um, what was it like yeah. when you rolled into Coffeeville and you went, okay, here I am? Yeah. Well, I didn't even go visit. My mom and my aunt and cousin, they drove down to go look at Coffeeville before I even went. They drove down in the summer to check everything out, and I hadn't even visited. I didn't do anything, and I was just going. And so when I got there, I mean, I'm from Louisville. I mean, Louisville's not the biggest city in America, but it's a decent size. we got a million people. And I get there, and I'm like, wow. Man, there's this is nothing. I mean, now it's totally different now. I mean, they actually have a Pizza Hut where they didn't even have a Pizza Hut before, dude, dude, and they have a subway. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't have a subway. I'm like, huh? Okay, this is interesting. Literally, where am I going to eat? There was a McDonald's and a Kentucky Fried Chicken, and that was it. So, and it was nothing, and so it was a culture shock for me, but. I personally had a personal goal of, look, I'm here. And I think that's what's different about there was only so many of us out-of-state guys. Now, we bonded with the Kansas guys and all that, and we all became friends. But we all kind of bonded together, the out-of-state guys, as, hey, we're here for 18 months. Right. And then we're getting out. And that was the whole thing. And every And as you talk to other junior college guys that were around in other schools, it was the same way. Like, look, we're going to be here for 18 months. And we're getting out. And, but if you go back and you talk to each one of them, Jeff Kelly, Darnell McDonald, uh, Gerald Neesman, who's my roommate, you talk to those guys and every single one of them said they wouldn't do anything different. And I'm the same way. I would go to junior college. I would do it the exact same way. It was great. Yeah. That's, you know, and as much as we, ridiculed Jason Brown. He puts a ton of kids in. He goes, gets kids. He, you know, it he turns did. out they had high GPAs, whether that's actual education or just, you know, giving them grades. I don't know, but right. they had high GPAs. They moved on to, to, uh, division one programs. Right. And you know what? Most of the kids say good things about him. Even the ones he, it looks like he had bad relationships with. I just find him intriguing. And I wonder uh, if the producers didn't do him a disservice for entertainment purposes and never show the soft side of him that, you know, we talked about loving his players, but you don't really see that at all from this series. No. And you're right. And that could very well be it because, you know, just uh, they're going to put out there what they think is going to sell. So you could be very right. Cause I, I haven't really heard just what you said. I've never heard any players that left from there, you know, and went on to play. Those guys didn't talk bad about him at all. Yeah. I'm just intrigued by his background of being a white guy from Compton. That's just, <laughs> that is such a unique yeah, that background. That is just, I mean, culturally that just amazes me. You know, it's just like, wow. No wonder he, he, uh, He's just nope. a strange dude. 
Yeah. He, I think he's a very, very yeah. strange dude, and, and I can't imagine how he stuck yeah. out as a sore thumb in a small town. Um, oh, my goodness. One of the greatest names ever on the website, but I kind of cringe every time I read it. This question is from Infected Testicle. Yes. Uh, last chance you makes junior college football look like a prison sentence that must be served before moving on to the good life. That wasn't your experience, was it? Absolutely not. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, some of the dorms, I mean, you see some of the places where they're staying and things of that nature. Coffeeville wasn't that way. Yeah. So I know other places might have been. I mean, where the Coffeeville now has a brand new dorm and things. When I was there, it was quads, and they were older, but they weren't junky. Um, the buildings that we went to for classes and things of that nature, it wasn't junk. It was nice. So my experience was totally different. And I see some of it on TV, and I'm like, wow, they got to stay in a place like that. Yeah. I go, but yeah, well, yeah, we Coffeeville was absolutely it was. 150% different than what you see on Last Chance U, not to mention the town. They never really show any of the interaction from the town, but I guess they do a little bit with Independence. Coffeeville is a Coffeeville Red Raven football town. I mean, even more than the, the high school. It right. is a Coffeeville town. I mean, they love that junior college. So, I mean, it's it, my experience was great. The whole town loved Coffeeville football. That's interesting. I I think when I think of Coffeeville, I I think of that. I think of a town that junior college is ingrained into the culture of the town. And while yes. while they don't have it, they don't have football at Cloud County up in Concordia. It's kind of the same way. It's in, really intertwined into the very culture of the community. Yep. Um, and uh, let's be honest, it's, it's not independence. It's like that thing that right. we have in town and it's nice. Exactly. nice that we're good, but what did we pay to get that, to get that way? Uh, and uh, let's see, we've got another one from infected testicle. Uh, what did make you pick K state? Oh, you know, it was pretty simple. Uh, I went to college first, failed. Mm -hmm. And I went, and when it was time to go to junior college, my dream, I mean, I'm from Louisville, and I'm pretty open about this. I've been a diehard, well, I'm from Jeffersonville, Indiana, which is right across the river from Louisville, Kentucky. So I lived closer to the University of Louisville than my aunt did, and she lived in Louisville. So I was a diehard Louisville fan. I still am. Um, but I decided at that time, I've had success in Kansas, and my whole thing was about being successful. It wasn't about being close to home. It, I had done that already, and I knew that it was time for me to be successful. And Kansas State was way better than Louisville. Uh, I had the opportunity to go to Tennessee, and Tennessee had lied to me about a couple of different things. And I decided Kansas State was going to be the place for me. I had a ton of success. My grades were way, way better. I met some great people and heck I met my future wife. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to go to Kansas state. Cause number one, they didn't lie. They told me we have a left guard position. And we want you to come in and play. And from day one, that's what I did. <laughs> and, and so it just made that decision so much easier because I'd had the success. My grades were better. And I thought, you know what, it's all about success for me. I don't need to go back home and be closer to the things that I wasn't successful with. 
I want to be here and play here. Plus, Kansas State was really, really good. Louisville was terrible. And Tennessee was okay. I mean, oh, well, I take that back. They were good, too. But I wanted to be part of something that was new and not what everybody knew. I'm just that way. I like to be part of different things. And where I'm from, nobody had really heard of Kansas State before. Heck, I hadn't heard of them until I went to to Coffeeville. I, didn't, I mean, I'd heard of them, but I didn't really know anything about it. And then when I went up there, I was like, man, this place is great. So that made my decision easy is that they were very truthful. I'd had success. So it wasn't a long, drawn-out process for me. It was like I went up there, loved it, met a couple people. I'm like, this is where I'm going. That's cool. That's really cool. Uh, but then a couple years after you left, K-State uh, had the home and home with Louisville. How tough was that on you? Yes. It was. And I went to the game in Manhattan. <laughs> and it was it was difficult. Mm-hmm. But I went and I supported you know, because, and everybody always asks me, well, who are you going to root for? I'm like, I'm going to root. And I go, and if I'm in Kansas State Stadium, I'm going to root for Kansas State. So, it, I mean, but I, because I love Kansas State. I mean, I just love Kansas State. I love everything about it. Uh, regardless of what I've, I've loved my whole life, you're not going to be able to take away the love that I have for Kansas State. It's just not. I, that's just part of me. It's always going to be a part of me. Um, but it was tough, but it was fun. I went with uh, a guy that I played with, Milford Stevenson, a former K-State guy, and we had some fun with it. He had a lot of fun with me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, Louisville was real close to being in the Big 12. When they added West Virginia, they oh. I, they should have added Louisville and Cincinnati at the same time. They didn't do it. I think, I think the conference would be in really good shape if they had done that. That would have been weird for you, wouldn't it, if Louisville it joined the Big 12? I mean, it would have, but I, it was my dream for that to happen. Yeah. I mean, I wanted it to happen. I mean, it would have made things just so much better. I mean, it would literally would have been my dream. It would have been weird, and I probably would have went to every game that was in Manhattan, and it would have been weird. But you know what? Again, if I went to Kansas State, to say the least, I, that's where I went, and if I'm in their stadium, I'm going to root for them. So, so be it. My friend Wagcat is is about your age, and he asked a question. You remember seeing you at the rec, you're, you're three bills, and you're playing hoops, and you could still play hoops. Um, t- comment on that. Comment on the basketball thing, because that was one of the anomalies about you. You were a, a big dude, but you had great feet and athleticism, which makes you a great offensive lineman, but you could hoop, man. You were good. Yeah, I was okay. I mean, I was okay. I, <laughs> you know, the thing about it was I grew up, and that was part of my decision-making out of high school, which was a mistake, is that I grew up in Indiana. And in that whole area, you know, Indiana, Louisville, I mean, it's basically it's a, a corridor of about two hours from the University of Indiana to Louisville to the University of Kentucky, which is gigantic basketball country. Right. And so – Playing basketball in Indiana, growing up in high school basketball in Indiana, which if anybody doesn't know, it is absolutely crazy. It's basically the opposite of Texas football or the same as Texas high school football. It's just basketball. It's literally the same. And so that's what I thought that I should do out of high school, even though pretty much all my friends were saying, Brian, you got to go play football. 
And I just thought, eh, I'm going to play basketball. I'm going to do it, which turned out to be a mistake, but not really that big of a mistake because who knows? I, I'm not a person that looks back and think, oh, well, I should have done this. I should have done that because yeah, if I'd have done that, who knows if I would even be alive. Something could have happened. I could have got hit by a bus or whatever. So, <laughs> but yeah, I love playing basketball. I mean, I was pretty good. I mean, I, I, I was, I'll give you that. I was decent. I was decent. <laughs> I was decent. What was the strength of your game? Well, when I was younger, and I tell everybody this to say, I was one. Of, I was always a tall kid growing up. And, but my elementary school coach believed that the tallest kids should be the guys that dribbled the basketball. So when I was in the second grade, I played on our elementary school team and he taught me to be what well, my dad really taught me, but he believed my high school or elementary coach believed that I should dribble the ball and be a guard so I could handle the ball. So I could always handle the ball and drive, but and I got into high school. I played pretty much all over the place, but the strength for me was, just kind of, I mean, I played in the post, but I went to college, I was only 6'2", so I could shoot, I could drive, I kind of did a little thing, but a little bit of everything, but mostly it was, the strength of my game was just getting to the basket. Yeah, that's, you know, it's funny, that's contrary to what much youth coaches do. Uh, if you're the big kid, they, yeah. they put your back to the basket and put you in yep. the post. That's good. <laughs> yeah. That coach was smart. That's, uh, <laughs> that's why... He his philosophy. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go. You go ahead. Well, his philosophy. He got it from Denny Crum, which coached at Louisville, uh -huh. and Denny Crum always recruited guys that were pretty much the same size, and he always believed in big guards, just like because he got it from John Wooden. So he always had guards that were six five and above. That was his thing. So my elementary coach was uh, just loved Denny Crum, and that's what he believed, and that's where he got it from. And he used to tell us that. And since you know we grew up in Louisville, everybody's a Louisville fan, so we loved it. So it just made it. It just so happened that it worked out for me. It didn't always work out for everybody, but it worked out for me. But my dad was also a big product of that. I mean, my dad taught me how to play basketball at a young age. He was the coach, never overbearing. He was not that guy. He taught me how to do things the right way. Like he didn't even allow me to shoot a basketball the regular way until I could get it up there. Cause he didn't want me throwing the ball up there and then having bad habits of me, how to shoot. He made me shoot granny shots until I was able to get the ball up there. Smart. And so that, yeah. So it was, it was just one of those things. I had really good coaching uh, in basketball from the time I was five years old until the time I was in high school. Really good coach. It drives me crazy watching hoops now and the guys that don't know how to shoot a basketball. They've known how to oh just kind of do what they always did to get the ball in the hole, but nobody's taken them aside and said, this is how you shoot the basketball. And, and nope. it drives me nuts. Guys can't make a 15-foot jump shot, right. Tim. They, yeah, after, they can dribble between their legs 11 times. They can spin around. They can jump out of the gym, literally. But if you ask them, hey, you got to make this 15-foot jump shot or you can't leave, they'd be in the gym all night. I know. I know. It's crazy. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, I don't want to blame AAU, but it's just kind of the theme of how basketball has gone now. It's all about flash over substance. Well, let's wind Absolutely. up this uh, podcast with uh, and bring it full circle here. Purple Powerhouse, ask about your podcast, and let's talk ball with Big B, and it's LTB. Uh, podcast.com, correct? 
That is correct. LTBpodcast.com. Let's talk ball. It's a great podcast. I love it. Um, I'm not one to sit around and listen to podcasts uh, very often, especially sports ones. I'll listen to other stuff, but I just I, I do sports. You know, this is what I do. Right. I, so, but a man, I listen to you. It's good. And Purple Powerhouse also says uh, he loves your humor and passion you bring to the podcast. Uh, but what was finally it that made you take the plunge into the podcast? Uh, you know, I could make up a whole bunch of stuff. It's basically people just finally pushing me enough to do it. Uh, my wife, uh, one of my really good, and two of my good friends. I mentioned Darren. And another one of my really good friends, they just said, Brian, we just you just need to do it. It's time. You've talked about it. Enough is enough. It's time to just do it. And so when me and Darren kind of came up with the concept of what we were going to do, um, so we enjoy it. We kind of leave the current events, things, to other places to do and just kind of dive into other aspects of sports. And I think that's there's a place for that. And that was one of the things that we were looking for. We were looking for a little bit of a niche where everybody's doing, you know, current events. Everybody's doing a video on, you know, what just happened and what did LeBron James say yesterday and all that. And we just decided that we would do different aspects, you know. So I'm even thinking about putting one together about sports movies and just talking about how funny they are and things of that nature. So we're just taking a different aspect, different style into the podcast and looking at different avenues. And, but it's also things that people are interested in. So uh, that's what's made it really fun is we've gotten some feedback, a lot of feedback from people, and we're just having a really, really good time doing it. I love that you take a topic and you, you really drill down on a topic. It, you know, yes. He mentioned the rivalry show that, that you did and he loved it and he was – you know, he's right. I don't think K-State will ever have one of those rivalries because those rivalries have to have roots that you just can't. Fake. Right. You know, maybe there's a rivalry that pops up like uh, Clemson, Alabama, that is because of the magnitude of the games they play that wasn't really going back. But, you know, it. if you look at college football, Alabama, Auburn, Notre Dame, USC, Michigan, Ohio State, Nebraska, Oklahoma, God, you know, rest in peace. Um, Texas, Texas A&M. Those things are are rooted into the earliest days of college football, and you just can't fake yep. it. You can't fake it. Nope. I mean, even no, if, you can't fake it at all. If K State, if Nebraska was still in the Big Twelve, and K State and Nebraska were still bumping heads, Nebraska would never look at K State as a rival. They just wouldn't. And I understand why. I I completely understand why because uh, they want their rival to go back. You know, to when face masks were just put on the helmets. You know, that that's what exactly. they, they wanted to find it. Well, it's really great to have you part of uh, the Power, Go Power Cat family, this member of the staff, so to speak, uh-huh. even though it's uh, kind of a long-distance analysis gig you're doing for us. But it's going to be great because you watch yeah. these games, you watch them on TV, and in many ways that's a better way to watch them. I hate to tell K-State that. Right. You know, it, <laughs> you know, everyone's struggling season ticket sales. I think K-State is too. Um, but right. those darn TVs, they're just too good to pass up and not having to fight traffic and crowds and and you can really stop and replay and, and really dissect a game. So it's going to be fun. Exactly. I'll be at most of the games. Absolutely. And then I'll, I'll call you up and we'll do this exact same thing uh, and then we'll post it as soon as possible after the game, after every K-State football game of the season. 
Good, buddy. Okay. Thank you. I'm looking I appreciate, forward to it. I appreciate it very much. Uh, take care down there in uh, beautiful Texas. Oh, one one quick question uh, for the overtime. Uh, how good is Whataburger? Are you a Whataburger uh, guy? It's outstanding. I'm a, it's literally two minutes from my house, oh. and I I can't get enough. I can't. I, I mean, I probably should leave it alone, but I can't get enough. Can't yeah. get enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I too am a big guy, but thankfully I don't have Whataburger because I know what I'd be eating for dinner after I leave here uh, tonight for more. I'd be eating Whataburger. <laughs> and probably exactly. on Friday uh, when I wake up, and I'm going to go grab a beer with a buddy in the afternoon. I'd probably have Whataburger before I did it because it gives you a good base. Whataburger just yeah. gives you that good base to plan the rest of your day around, no matter what's going on. Outstanding. I love it. Literally, anytime somebody comes to town and stays at our house, when are we going to Whataburger? We, I mean, and Chick-fil-A is across the street. Yeah. And we they would still rather go to Whataburger. Well, one of my favorite things I always tell people, there's a place in Waco, uh, and it's probably the most scenic place in Waco. Uh, there is a Whataburger and an In-N-Out within three lots Ooh. of each other. And in between the two is a McDonald's. How in hell that McDonald's wow. stays in business, I don't know, but <laughs> I, there it is. I mean, there, there's your three, you know, you got, I want Whataburger, I want In-N-Out. They're both fantastic. Or you can have McDonald's. Yes. Right. Unbelievable. Thank you, partner. I appreciate it very much. Thank and we'll you. talk to you all through football season. This has been Absolutely. another edition of the Power Cat Podcast, sponsored by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. Power Cat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street Publishing.